Hello, my name is Alex Brownsell. I'm the head of content for Walk Media, and thank you for joining us. It's day two of the 2022 Cannes Lines Festival. In today's episode, we'll be sharing insights from Walk's Anatomy of Effectiveness sessions hosted in the Palais, introducing details of fresh research by CreativeX and analytic partners. We'll also be hearing about the themes being talked about by CMOs up and down the Quasette. But before we get to that, we're going to be discussing the collision of marketing and digital commerce, the subject of a series of presentations on the Walk stage just this morning. David Tillman, Walk's SVP content, hosted the session mere moments ago uh, and joins me now. David, how did the morning go? It was really good, actually. We had, you know, standing room only in the Walk uh, walk presentation space. It was... Um, so it was a really strong set of speakers. So, I mean, we, we sort of set the stage. You, you, we call it Worlds Collide because we sort of see this as a space where um, marketers and digital commerce professionals have sort of operated almost in silos. And we're seeing them come together, well, quite violently at times. Um, and we believe this is a really interesting area to look at um, we've actually just launched a new product walk digital commerce that that brings a lot of new thinking around this space uh, and so what we did this morning was um we had a panel of marketers talking about how this was actually working within their organizations and then we had a really nice piece of thought leadership from uh, two independent strategists jp caslin and james hankins and they were talking about, uh, well, they called it the gravity of e-commerce and what their view was, and we'll come, I know we'll come on to this in a moment, was that um, we're heading into some quite dark economic times, that the, the mood music around digital commerce is changing, uh, but that actually there's a lot of hope for marketers in this space because marketing holds the keys to uh, a lot of the mitigation strategies. Well, look, there's a whole there's a whole lot there. So let's just rewind and go back to that CMO panel, which was a tremendous lineup. I mean, what were the key themes that were discussed in that session? Yeah, so we had Attila Jansen of Number Seven Beauty Company. We had Yvonne Sue of Hills Pet Nutrition, which is part of Colgate uh, Palm Olive, and they were speaking with um, Gemma Spence, who is. Um, uh, she leads digital commerce for VML, YNR, and also across WPP. Uh, and they looked at a whole number of different things. They talked about the different ways that uh, digital commerce and marketing are coming together within their organizations and some of the implications of that. Um, and uh, they broke it down into four different areas. They looked at people, so sort of skill sets and, and, and how you, you structured. You did a process, which is, uh, you know, the integration of these things and what that means, not just in terms of, of internal teams, but in things, terms of things like marketing investment. Uh, then we, they looked at the tech, so, you know, how are you actually managing um, this uh, sort of digital commerce challenge across multiple different platforms. You know, and we know that if you're investing in retail media, each platform looks different. The buying opportunities are different. The, the formats are different. You've got to understand each one. And then finally, they talked about partnerships, which is uh, who, because a lot of a lot of marketers do not have the skills to cope with this in house, so they're increasingly uh, reliant on whether that's agency partnerships, specialist uh, e-commerce players. Um, to sort of help them navigate the space. Well, we caught up with Gemma Spence after the session and she talked to us about the importance of processes. 
it's all about having a well-oiled and well-structured process that cuts across different teams within the organization. And we've seen businesses restructuring. So whether that is Unilever, whether that is Colgate, restructuring in order to um, pull together sales, supply chain, innovation and marketing so that they can uh, be more agile in this space. Okay, then the, the last session was um, with a couple of really great thinkers, uh, JP Castlin and James Hankins. Um, what were they here to talk about? First, that um, no one's got this figured out yet. They're, uh, they're really trying to, uh, to, 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 to make this work. They're looking, you know, a lot of them talked about integration of teams, um, about making sure that uh, things like measurement was, was uh, aligned across what you're spending in terms of sort of media investment outside the, 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 the commerce platforms and then the retail media spend that's, that's a growing part of their of their mix so trying not to have these as silos so there's there's a very real desire to sort of break the silos so that everyone admit sort of admits that's a challenge um and i guess linked to that was the importance of the the, the partners as i as i said earlier uh they they really are looking for help in terms of uh what best practice looks like uh how other people are doing it and you know this is a space that keeps changing you know there's the advertising uh platform on amazon for example you know it, it it's changed a huge amount in the past two to three years so um this is not a static market it's a dynamic market and everyone's trying to to sort of figure out uh what's going to happen next Absolutely. Um, and, you know, they are trying to figure out what to do next in potentially quite adversarial economic conditions. And this is something that our final session uh, with JP Castlin and James Hankins really focused on. Now, I think it was quite a complex session. For the benefit of our listeners, could you try and summarize it as best you can? Yeah, I'm going to try. So uh, JP and James are, uh, uh, you know, ferociously intelligent people, and they packed a lot into uh, they packed a lot into the sort of 45 minutes. Um, the session sort of broke down into two pieces, um, and so we'll, we'll sort of take take them one by one. So JP talked about the issues in the marketplace right now. So. He, what he was talking about was uh, the what he, I think he called the end of, of profitless growth or profitless prosperity. Um, we are seeing uh, a lot of uh, a lot of m sort of VC. Uh, well, not money. The money's not coming out of the sector, but what they're doing is sort of talking about look the, the era of sort of just growth at all costs is is, is gone. Um, you've got to be turning a profit. The uh, sort of Huge increase in consumer uptake of digital commerce has plateaued as as lockdowns have ended. You know, now we're still we're still well up on where we were uh, prior to the pandemic. But the idea that that sort of growth rate was going to uh, continue forever uh, has sort of um, uh, has sort of dissolved. Um, the stock market, you know, the stock prices of a lot of the uh, operators in this space uh, has has tumbled uh, amid a sort of broader tech winter. So um, the the uh, I used the term mood music earlier, and, and the whole mood music around this space is changing and changing quite rapidly. And the focus on anyone selling uh, selling through online channels is is going to be more and more about profit. And as they showed uh, that. Uh, a lot of players in this space simply aren't thinking about profit or haven't thought about profit. It's all been about uh, top line growth rather than rather than bottom. 
and they had some great examples. I mean, even even an operator like Nike, who um, uh, have had tremendous success from a top line point of view uh, in terms of their uh, sort of membership, uh, digital commerce, direct to consumer digital commerce business. Um, that they had numbers that suggested that that's that's never been profitable. So we we are in a sort of space where all of a sudden the the, the focus is shifting from uh, uh, from sales growth and penetration growth into profitable growth. And I think we can hear a little bit from uh, JP Kaslin to talk about this some more. Brands need to do at the moment is they need to actually uh, acknowledge the gravity of e-commerce, which is three things. So it's the gravitational pull of digital on businesses everywhere, but it's also the gravitational pull of the associated cost pulling the financials down. And then lastly, it's the gravity of the current situation and what's happening in the world. We have to acknowledge the fact that we are in a recession and things are only going to get worse, unfortunately. So let's move on to the second section then. What did James Hankins focus on? Yeah, so if, uh, I mean, the JP uh, admitted that he'd been a bit, a, a bit of a downer. Uh, um, so, he, you know, having talked for 15 minutes about how the markets, uh, the markets all challenged and, James came on and said, "Well, look, I'm I'm here to offer hope, uh, and the hope it, the hope really lies with marketing. So if you look at a lot of the problems around profitability, they're areas that marketing uh, through the through the levers of the four P's." Uh, can start to influence. So e-commerce in itself is place, but obviously there's three other P's, um, and. There's a few things to think about here. So I'm only going to pick out a couple um, just to flag we will be rerunning this session after Can and I, I would recommend people watch it in full because uh, it's very detailed. But I guess a couple of things he um, he sort of pointed out, which I think are really, really useful to bring up on the podcast. So the first one is the importance of fulfillment to profit. Uh, now that means deliveries and returns. Um, you know, how how are you uh, are you charging for delivery and are you charging for returns? Now most people aren't. Now that in itself doesn't sound like a marketing issue, but it is if you think, well, okay, how do you, as a digital commerce operator, um, start being able to charge a bit more for delivery or charge for returns as, as some retailers are starting to do. Um, and what the secret is a strong brand or one of the secrets anyway. So is your brand strong enough to uh, actually charge consumers a bit more? Do you have the sort of price elasticity to enable you to, um, uh, uh, to mitigate some of these factors? The other point around fulfillment, which I think is really interesting, is the importance of a physical location. So the sorts of companies that are much less exposed to this are companies that have um, stores that people can return things to. Um, so, uh, you know, you're not, the returns become less of a drag on, on your profitability. And so what that starts to do is open up opportunities for uh, maybe some sort of legacy operators to actually do tie-ups with, uh, with digital commerce players who need some of that, uh, who, who, who need to sort of have a mitigation around their returns policy or their delivery policy and start to get stuff uh, uh, either in stores or, or to have an option to do delivery and, and returns um, 
uh, through a physical a physical space, not just uh, not just through through the post. Um, so so there are a couple of th things he brought out, uh, and and that that I think we can hear a little bit more from James talking about these. Marketing provides a bit of hope uh, when it comes to mitigating for that that cost gravity of e-commerce. Um, it has four very very powerful levers in price, promotion, place, and product. And the constraints of the economic situation and the constraints of the cost gravity of e-commerce open up reams of creativity for the, uh, the, the clever marketeer. Huge amount there. And as David said, you'll be able to rewatch this session on the Walk website um, in a few days' time. But David, is, is there anything that you'd like to sort of summarize and distill that whole, you know, breadth of information? <laughs> yeah, I'd just go back to that brand point because the, the two of them described this as a communications task of awe. So there's so much that marketers are going to have to think about in terms of explaining things like price rises or, um, uh, uh, you know, new delivery things or new partnerships or whatever it might be. Um, but actually, the big, the real big picture thing, and I guess it comes back into the fact that we're in Cannes and talking about creativity, is um, how do CMOs at, uh, let's say, a sort of digital commerce or DTC e-commerce brand, how do they start talking to the CEO and the CFO about a change in marketing strategy? Because for a lot of these businesses, what's got them to where they are is a very performance-led approach, performance-driven approach. And actually now is the time they need to be, if they're not already, they need to be investing in building their brand. And there has never been a better time for these sorts of business to make that case to the CEO and the CFO than now because the CEO and the CFO will be looking for mitigation strategies as we go into this sort of uh, new era, uh, this, this sort of new focus on profit. A really important thinking there, and um, I should definitely flag that we will be having more content that looks at digital commerce and the collision of marketing and digital commerce running in this afternoon in the Palais, so you'll be hearing all about that in tomorrow's podcast. The next guest to join me in the Walk Podcast Studio here at the Palais is Imad Ahmed, the Head of Advisory EMEA at Walk. Welcome, Imad. Hey, Alex. Good to be here. Now, Imad hosted yesterday's session on Walk's Anatomy of Effectiveness white paper. Um, now, you heard all about the white paper in yesterday's podcast. Hopefully, if you haven't listened to that yet, please do check it out. As well as talking about the white paper itself, we had a host of sessions that featured new research from a bunch of really clever folks in the industry, and Imad is here to, to summarize that for us. Um, we had three sessions. We had them from the Advertising Research Community Project, uh, we had one from Analytic Partners, and we had one from CreativeX. Now, let's go through those one by one. Should we start with uh, the Advertising Research Community Project, Imad? Yeah, sure, Alex. So there's a lot to, to cover from each, but uh, we started with uh, a look at the ARC database. So as you say, that's the advertising research community. And we heard from Stuart Heppenstall, who's at Data2 Decisions, and also Julian Douglas, who's the president of the IPA and the international CEO of VCCP. And they were looking at work that Grace Kite from Magic Numbers had, had actually pulled together. Now, to give you some, some context, when we look at the ARC database, we're talking about 340 or so um, cases, and that accounts for over £5 billion pounds worth of ad spend. So we're talking about a really healthy data set 
to, to look at. And what they pulled out from there was the importance of this idea of creative commitment. Now, to give you uh, some, some scene setting or some context on that, we have to go back a few years. Now, creative commitment was this idea that if we look at uh, a composite metric of the budget of a campaign, the duration of a campaign, and the number of media channels used, that where that, that composite metric is higher, actually creative effectiveness is likely to increase as well. And this was part of something called the effectiveness code that Lyons and Walk worked on together alongside James uh, Herman. Now, Stuart ran us through some really, really interesting data to bring this back to those case studies within, within ARC. And what he found was that advertisers who commit significant budgets to their work are likely to get better ROIs. And he pulled out a wonderful chart that showed that the returns are highest for those spending within that 10 to 50 million pound um, range per year. So a great way of validating some of that thinking that we saw from creative equipment earlier. The second point was really about how that all requires a huge amount of coordination across a number of media channels too. And again, uh, the, the data that, that he showed us was how the returns were higher when brands were using seven to eight or so media channels. So again, looking towards more media channels, a greater um, investment within this idea of creative equipment and therefore higher returns off the back of it. Now, there was a note of caution that, that Stuart gave us and that was that Although this was best practice, a lot of brands aren't doing this. So advertising can still be seen as risky and unprofitable in many cases. But what was really heartening, especially at the, the Festival of Creativity, that, that great creativity is a wonderful way of mitigating that risk. So a really nice way for, for Stuart to, to bring that back in and to, to advise marketers on, on how to make the best of creative equipment. It's a really important research and, and the ARC project and, and, and Dr. Grace Kite's work is so important because it, it looks at campaigns in, in the broadest sense. It's not just the stuff that, that gets entered into awards and, and that's why it's just so fascinating to kind of look at those trends. Exactly. Uh, now, next up, let's move on to analytic partners and what do they have to talk about? Yeah, so we were joined by um, Nancy Smith, who's the CEO at Analytic Partners. And, and the basis of, of Nancy's talk was around um, this framework that they've built over a number of years called ROI Genome. Now, to set the scene on what that is, that's a framework that's been quantifying um, how a broad range of different factors, so things like uh, the competitive set, changes in a category or brand attributes, how those kinds of things can impact effectiveness. And the really interesting things that we can take away from that is therefore some of the, the best practice we can see. Now, one of um, the key points that Nancy made, and this was right at the start of the session, was that companies and businesses or organizations who are, who are taking really data-driven decisions to their work, those are the types that are likely to, to grow five times more than, than companies that aren't. So uh, a, a great starting point, really, for a, a very much an, an evidence-led, a research-led um, talk. But the the, the real crux of the session was looking at the main drivers of media effectiveness that this ROI genome has, has unearthed for us. And at the top of the, those different drivers, first you had the amount of investment. So that's particularly important as, you know, as many expect, we may be heading towards a recession. We saw what happened during the pandemic around share of voice and those brands who are holding their investment may being able to, to make gains in share of voice and excess share of voice at the expense of their competitors. Secondly, we saw creative quality. 
as one of those main drives. And that's particularly important, of course, at the, the, the Festival of Creativity. Um, what we saw there was that um, two thirds of the impact of video impressions that we're seeing um, that's driven by creative quality. And, and even within that, we're seeing that brand messaging outperforms performance messaging 80% of the time. Now, those are just the, the two top drivers. We also had things around the halo effect, media mix, in-platform optimization, but there was a whole host of things to, to learn from the session. Now, that's super interesting. And, and we caught up with Nancy at the end of her presentation, and we asked her why this research is so important for the marketing community. Marketers, I think, in today's uncertain times, Marketing budgets often are first to be cut, and it's real important to understand the drivers of advertising effectiveness. And one of the number one drivers that we see is spend, creative effectiveness, halo, channel synergies, but spend being number one is absolutely critical. And I think it's important advertisers understand the implications of those budget cuts that uh, they may be faced with. Okay, well, let's move on to the third and final presentation and the third and final piece of research. Great. So very much last, but but not least. So this was a session led by uh, Anastasia Lenk from CreativeX and, and joined by Jenny Bullis from, from Meta. So I'm sure everyone will be well aware of, of Meta and what they do. But for those who don't know CreativeX, they're a fascinatingly smart um, business. And something that they've been working on recently is uh, a way of codifying, if you like, creative quality. And they've created something called the Creative Quality Score. Now, by that, what I mean is they've looked at the, the, the complete number of um, creative best practices that can be applied to a piece of work. And from that, they divide the number of best practices that are actually applied within, a, within whatever the given campaign may be. Now, that's really important because what we've seen over the last few years is that the volume of content is, is really shooting up, is really increasing. And as that happens, the creative quality is starting to become uh, quite diluted. And so what they wanted to do, and they brought out some of these insights during the, the, the talk, was talk about this, this single creative metric that could track efficiency and effectiveness of, of media spent across all these different channels. And Jenny from, from Meta was, was really great at seeing how we could tie together some of those creative decisions back to business impact, a really important conversation, of course, for, for many marketers to, to have. Now, to set the scene on, on what we learned from the, the session, there was some quite uh, there was quite an alarming backdrop, I suppose, to this. Eighty four percent of marketing content is visual. We've seen some from various studies that creative contributes forty seven percent to sales uplift, and yet when we look at it, creative is probably one of the least understood or least analysed parts of that media mix. So how do we how do we take uh, something from from this and, and and switch that that position around and we looked at different elements um, of creative quality that can be measured, but really interestingly, we learned from some of the first movers within this space, some of those first big brands who are, who are really using creative data to their advantage. The likes of Heineken, Nestle, AB InBev, and, and all of them have, have great uplift stories in terms of brand value, uh, ROAS, and even some of the awards and rankings wins across Walk and, and, and Lions and, and so on. But then Jenny brought that back to some of the, the basics that you can apply through through Meta and, and what she's learned through some of some of her work. And, and we don't have time to go through all of them on, on this podcast. But even thinking about things like attention, something that's a, a popular topic 
uh, at Cannes this week, thinking of every moment as an opportunity to capture that attention, thinking about how you showcase the brand early and often. So, you know, some of the more tactical elements, if you like, but also designing for, for sound being off, but then delighting when that sound is on. So as I mentioned, loads of different tips and tricks to take um, from the, the session. But all in all, it was, it was a great call to arms for, for marketers to think about how they might use creative data to really power their marketing effectiveness. It feels that this really, you know, is, is almost long overdue. I mean, we've looked at media and we've looked at data in the context of media for, for, for quite a long time now. And that's been where a lot of energy has been expended. But it does feel like the creative has such an important role. You know, content isn't just this bland, amorphous thing. I mean, it's 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 the message. It's, it's the kind of creative idea that's going to get you over the line. And it sounds like they're doing some important work here. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, as you mentioned, this is something that has been a, a recurring theme in some way across lots of different research over, over the years. You know, you think of data uh, decisions and their top 10 drivers of advertising profitability. We think of some of the, the, the ROI genome and creative X learnings that, that we've got today, but it's really coming to the fore. And I think that the way that, um, that the speakers talked about using data and creativity and that, that potentially magical intersection of the two, there was so much to take from, from the session uh, along those lines. Finally, I'm joined by Anna Hamill, Senior Editor for Brands at Walk and Walk's resident CMO expert. Um, Anna has been up and down the croisette, talking to CMOs, uh, going to CMO panel sessions. Um, so Anna, what, what emerging trends are you hearing? Hi, Alex. Well, the mood has been largely upbeat, which is, which is really good news, and everyone is clearly happy to be back uh, in the south of France discussing the really big issues that matter to our industry. And truthfully, a lot has changed since 2019, and we've talked about that when we were last here in person, obviously the COVID-19 pandemic, but also in the marketing world in terms of media, tech, consumer expectations, and the impact of all those changes on brand strategy. So there's also clearly been some evolution on those perennial can topics that we see. So new perspectives emerging on sustainability, demographics, brand purpose, and a whole lot of others. Okay, so, so what are some of the, these major changes in, in thinking that you've been hearing on these issues? Well, it's only day two, so we're really just getting started. But a consistent theme across the talks with CMOs so far has been that sustainability is now table stakes for brands. And that's something we've heard a lot this year generally. But what we're hearing here at Cannes is that it's now especially important for connecting with those really important Gen Z consumers which are now coming through. So brands from categories as diverse as mobile phones, CPG, apparel, healthcare, they're all using sustainability and in particular the climate crisis, which is a huge issue, um, as an opportunity to put that green thinking and sustainability at the heart of all innovation and all business operations. This is a really consistent theme and I also think it's a major shift uh, that we've heard from brands. It's not just a marketing topic anymore, it's going from the top to the bottom of the whole organisation across every part of the company. Of course, there's still some way, to, some way to go. I mean, there's always more that brands can be doing on sustainability, more that we could all be doing to combat the climate crisis. But brands are increasingly concerned with walking the walk, uh, walking the talk rather, and having accountability on this issue. But uh, one of the most noticeable changes uh, that I've seen from the CMOs is also that no one is talking about millennials anymore. Gosh, is the millennial dead? Well, I mean, it's been a noticeable omission to this geriatric millennial journalist, but it seems as though times are moving on. 
Uh, it's all about Gen Z this year at Cannes, um, their expectations of brands on diversity and sustainability and how they consume media. Uh, we've mentioned that uh, platforms such as TikTok and Snap have a huge presence this year, which reflects, I guess, their, their role with this uh, new generation of consumers. Absolutely. And, and obviously, you, you rightly point out it's only day two um, and there's plenty of sessions and interviews you'll be going to as the week we will see. We will see if millennials are truly over uh, by the end of this week. I'm sure we'll know for sure. We, we hopefully will do. Um, what else? Anything else that's grabbed your attention so far? Well, obviously, there is a bit of an elephant in the room this year uh, in Cannes, and that's the prospect of economic recession uh, coming down the line over the next 12 months or so. And that's something we've already talked about in this podcast. Uh, but I would say... From our experiences in the reporting team so far and what we've seen, and again, again, only day two, but CMOs have generally been pretty reluctant to engage in too much doom and gloom. And maybe it's just because we've had so much of that over the last couple of years with COVID. Uh, but several, including uh, David Rubin from the New York Times and Attila Kansen from the uh, number seven beauty company, have alluded uh, in various sessions over the week to the bite of that inflation uh, now becoming a reality. And we're looking looking at decades high levels are now starting to impact consumers and brands alike. Um, perhaps more ominously though, and I think this is a really important point that's going to become um, very clear through the year for a lot of brands, is that Ruben also noted that there are, quote, uh, very, very few marketers uh, working in the industry right now who have direct experience working in that type of recessionary environment. Um, so perhaps there are some difficult learning curves ahead uh, for brands and marketers who weren't around in the 2008 financial crisis. Obviously, that was a bit of a different situation. Um, you know, and given how much change there has been in the industry since then, uh, and a lot of it we're talking about here in Cannes this week, um, for consumers, time will tell how many lessons have been transferable for brands from 2008, but this is a bit of a different environment and that's going to require different strategies from brands. So one thing I've actually heard from several CMOs uh, this week across sessions is the phrase, hope is not a strategy. Uh, and that's been in relation to a few different issues, but I think it's particularly relevant given the difficulties that lie ahead uh, with the economy in the next uh, 12 months or so. So with that phrase in mind, the big question for me this week uh, and that our reporters will be looking for uh, on the ground is a bit more info about how brands are going to start orienting uh, toward resilience in the face of super challenging economic conditions. And I know that's something we've heard a lot with regards to the pandemic. Uh, it will be interesting to see if those lessons in terms of agility, in terms of changing up processes, will also apply to what's coming down the line economically. I think that's going to be a really big topic this year. Um, so that's something I'm looking to learn more about this week. Uh, we'll be looking toward sessions from those big bellwether brands within the industry. We're talking about the Procter & Gambles, the Microsofts, the AB, AB InBev and others. And also we have a, uh, many interviews with other CMOs and chief strategy officers lined up this week and that's going to be a hot topic. So more to come on that for sure. Thank you, Anna, and also David and Imad. And thank you all for listening. Keep an eye on walk.com for fresh news and insights from the Cannes Lions Festival all week. We'll be back tomorrow for day three with advice on brand building in an e-commerce world and the latest thinking in B2B marketing and much more, of course. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to The Walk podcast from your favorite podcasting platform.